everybody. Welcome to Utterly Astounded, where eschatology meets current events meets real life. At least my regular real life at home here in Southern California. So the title of this podcast is from Habakkuk 1.5. Look among the nations and watch, be utterly astounded, for I will work a work in your days, which you would not believe, though it were told to you. So as a Christian, I am a staunch believer in the sovereignty of God, and I love this definition, supreme power, especially over a body politic. That's comforting that God is in control. His sovereignty is over the body politic, because I think in this time in history, if I wasn't a Christian and I didn't believe in his sovereignty, I would be ramrod stiff with panic when I look out into the landscape of what is happening in our world and our country. But I do believe Proverbs 21.1, that the king's heart is in the hand of the Lord. Like the rivers of water, he turns it wherever he wishes. I don't think it's our role to get political and fight the earthly system. I want to stay on the political fringe, vote my conscience, pray for our leaders, give the gospel, and trust the Lord. Our fight is not flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers in the heavenly places. And I'm not saying don't run for office and try to be a voice in that way. I applaud our Christian brothers and sisters who do that, and they want to be a voice for righteousness. But I think your average Christian wants to do and be Romans 12, 18. If it is possible, as much as it depends on you, live peaceably with all men. We want to live peaceable lives. That's our hope. We don't go looking for a fight. I don't think you do, or I do, but when the fight comes to us, we have to stand up for what is right before the God we serve, and that's where we are. I think it was the year 1984 when I read the book 1984, and I remember being overcome with dread when I read it, all about this Orwellian society, and it gave me the fantods, which is just a very old term for the creeps or the shivers, so however you want to describe that. But that was at a time in America when we were still the land of the free and the home of the brave. The economy was good. Reagan was president. They taught us free speech in school. Most importantly, they taught censorship was bad, that compelling language and forcing people to speak a certain way was very bad. And although I had no reason to think I would ever live through something like 1984 in the USA, I had a foreboding that I would. And if you you want evidence that society has become Orwellian and gone belly up, which is lots of evidence for that everywhere, but look no further than Burbank Unified. And I know that this is happening everywhere in school districts everywhere, but this came out that they will no longer be able to teach a handful of classic novels, including Harper Lee's To Kill a Mockingbird, following concerns raised by parents over racism. So until further notice, teachers in the area cannot teach To Kill a Mockingbird, Mark Twain's The Adventures of Huckleberry Finn, or John Steinbeck's Of Mice and Men, just to name a few. This is to quote the article, four parents, three of whom are black, challenged the classic novels for alleged potential harm to black students. I won't go into the idiocy of the claim because it's too idiotic. It's also immensely sad and horrifying that we are witnessing a modern-day book-burning with Pulitzer Prize-winning novels, stories of stellar human relationships and redemption that have been loved for decades. These are the stories they want to eradicate from our society. This is what we've come to, and I think we have sailed over the cliff never to return. I don't know how much time the Bible has to be freely read in the USA, but I don't think there's much. 
There's assaults coming from everywhere, but just recently, three different places that it's come to roost in my own life, in my backyard, Airbnb, my skincare company, and my city council. What do they all have in common? Well, they're edging out the believer from the public square. Again, as Christians, we're not looking for a fight. I want to live a peaceable life. But when this happens, when it comes to me, I think it requires an informed response. So Airbnb came out with their newest terms and conditions, and you guessed it, their anti-discrimination policy. Well, for their hosts and guests alike, you have to agree to read and act in accordance with the following policy that they say strengthens the community and makes sure that, quote unquote, everyone belongs and feels welcome. Well, there's a big group that no longer feels welcome anymore, and that would be Christians, because they go on with the gender identity and they say they're not going to assign a gender identity to the user that whoever wants to say they're a man or a woman, whether or not they're a man or a woman, can say whatever they want and they can identify accordingly. And then as a consumer of Airbnb, as a host or a guest, that you have to, or this includes respecting pronouns, he, him, she, her, they, them, etc., and any users within the community, however they identify themselves. So they say that an Airbnb host may not decline a booking from a guest based on gender identity unless the host shares living spaces, for example, bathroom, kitchen, or common area with the guest. And I think it's interesting because I think that Airbnb is going to be eventually pushed against the wall completely on this and not have any wiggle room because somebody's going to come along and claim that it's discriminatory to say that. But you see how they're kind of pinched in this way and how uh, it's obvious that you can't have it both ways because what they're saying is if you're a man and you identify as a woman, and you're in a host home with a woman, and the woman doesn't want to share that common space with you, or she doesn't want to rent it to you because you share a common space, that they will have that they say, okay, well, we understand. We're going to agree with that. Why? Because the man who's claiming he's a woman is not a woman. He's a man. And that's why they're allowing for that. So they've gotten themselves twisted up, just actually trying to adhere to the truth which is the gender and the biological truth at the same time trying to be socially acceptable to the new ideology. So basically they're saying you can't have any preferences. Now, they're doing that primarily within the U.S. and Europe and Canada because they'll say that some countries, (laughs) some countries that could be a problem. And if you violate it, like I think, you know, having a homosexual couple or an unmarried couple under your roof, that you would violate local laws and that it could expose you to risk and physical harm or uh, perhaps even something as, as terrible as being murdered because of it. So if you live in an area like that, you're supposed to put the restriction up on the um, ad so that the prescription Perspective guests are aware of the issue, and I love this, and Airbnb can confirm the necessity for such an action. In other words, we're watching you. <laughs> if you don't bow down to our moral code, we're going to spit you out the other side. So we'll stop if you're going to be murdered for hosting a couple who isn't married or a homosexual couple. We'll back off from that. 
if it's going to cost you your life, if our anti-discrimination policy is going to cost you your life, but murdering your religious beliefs, insisting you violate your conscience, oh, they're all about that. They're going to do that with relish. So if you disagree with the updated terms, you may terminate your agreement with Airbnb at any time by deleting your account, which I think is interesting. Why deleting your account? Well, I'm not paranoid. My husband might disagree with that, but I think it's because they want to flag you. I mean, why delete your account? Why do you have to go to that end? I think that's the reason. So the updated terms will go into effect for existing users. Guess what date? January 20th, 2021. Is that any mistake that it's on Inauguration Day? Because probably they want to really run on the tails of Biden signing the Equality Act. I think that's the connection there. So then my city council, my little town of 70,000 people, and it's probably happening in your city council too. They, they're making a lot of laws. I didn't had no idea how much power my little city council had until I started catching wind of these things. But they wanted to make a resolution about racism and, and pre- prejudice and saying that it persists in our country and our community and that they're going to refute indifference, apathy, fear, hatred, and mistrust which I think is hilarious. How do you refute indifference or apathy? But there you go. They're going to try, I guess. So they throw these lines out and to see if they'll stick. And I want to say, where, where is your evidence that these things persist in the community? And it's such a slam on your citizens. And then it's a command. We must, we must do this. We must do that. And that they're going to eliminate hate from everyone's heart. Well, good luck with that. Most people that write these things can't even get along with their spouse. (laughs) They can't even get along with their kids. And they want to eliminate hate from society. Okay. They go on to say, we promote free thought and speech, but we condemn racism, hate speech, bigotry, violence, etc. I condemn racism. I condemn violence. I condemn prejudice. Absolutely. Your normal person agrees with that. But you cannot say you promote free thought and speech in one breath and then condemn free speech and free thought in the next. And I think it's interesting because this resolution was originally intended to support the BLM, Black Lives Matter organization, and the founders of that proclaim to be Marxists. So if you make that link, a resolution in my town that supports Marxism and includes me in it as a citizen, that needs to be fought against. And I did. I mean, I I wrote a letter. I let my voice be heard. I said that's not an appropriate resolution to to be pushing through on a city council agenda. And your local government is going to be more and more important. And so I think you need to pay attention to those things as a believer. It's important that we say the right and righteous thing. So next, my skincare company. I really like this product, Rodin and Fields, but I had to to listen to their diatribe with their email, with their overreach, which is just totally stunning. They send me their political affiliations, if you will. They're making the statement that they're not going to tolerate hate or discriminatory behavior. Here we go again. You people sell me moisturizer. You should not be lecturing me on hate and discriminatory behavior. They say now is a time for change. They're going to, and here's the catchphrase, work towards structural societal changes, which to me is, I'm going to say newspeak from 1984. 
it's the veiled term of Marxism and communism and equal outcome, all of that. And how do they not tolerate hate? Again, are they omniscient and able to read people's thoughts in their hearts? Of course, it would be great if no one hated anyone, but I find it juvenile for a company I buy a product from to lecture lecture me on the attitude that I need to have. And it's that not tolerating hate that's the talking point that is going to end in persecution for believers. And that's why I take it so seriously, because it connects to an atheistic mindset. Because in some humanistic way, we are going to change the thoughts and intents of man's heart. Only God can do that. But if you dismiss God, you think you have the power to force a person's heart to change. Wow, that is very ambitious and very impossible and very reminiscent of the Nazi party and the pressure that led to many organizations to adopt the Aryan paragraph. That was a clause in the statutes of an organization, corporation, or real estate deed that reserved membership and or right of residence solely for members of the Aryan race and excluded from such rights any non-Aryans. Terrible paragraph, particularly those of Jewish and Slavic descent. Thus, Jews were barred from public life and the public health system and their offices, and so they just wanted to get them out of the way, to suffer and to be silenced. They got the people to comply in the same way all these organizations are trying to get us Christians to comply, fear. So they're going to put their paragraph into every document they can. You don't agree with their ideology? Out with you. We understand that this is prophetic, that these things will be part of the last day's persecution, and they will increase to a fever pitch before the Lord's return. But if you are a true believer, you believe in the gospel, and your number one task is to share it freely. And the last vestiges of freedom and being able to speak the gospel without being jailed or fined because it's deemed hate speech are coming down the pike. And I believe that Biden in the White House will prove that we've suffered a mortal wound to free speech. This was a couple of years ago. You might have seen the video, but Russell Vaught was nominated for the Office of Management and Budget. And Bernie Sanders brought up an essay Vaught had written as an alumnus of Wheaton College writing out the basic Christian doctrine that people cannot know God except through Jesus. He talked about Muslims specifically because he was writing in response to something that happened at the school. And he wrote, they do not know God because they have rejected Jesus Christ, his son, and they stand condemned, which is a true scriptural statement. Sanders said, in my view, the statement made by Mr. Vaught is indefensible. It is, here's the word, hateful. It is Islamophobic. Bot responded, I'm a Christian, and I believe in a Christian set of principles based on my faith. He also clarified he believes all people are made in the Omega Dei, the image of God, so he treats all fairly and respectfully, regardless of political or religious affiliation. So Sanders basically said, so you're standing by the statement, they do not know God because they rejected Jesus Christ, his son, and they stand condemned? <laughs> well, yes, that's what the gospel is. That's what it says. Jesus said that. And it's the most loving thing you can do to to tell someone the truth. They might reject you. They probably will. But you say thank you for your time and move on. Well, we're not going to be allowed to say that if Bernie Sanders has anything to do with it. And believe me, he will. And the thing that's so odd is that watching this feels like watching a scene from 60 AD with the early church trying to get off the ground and persecution and having to stand in front of the governing authorities to simply defend the faith. It's like watching the book of Acts happen in present day. Sanders maintained until the end of the hearing. I would simply say, Mr. Chairman, that this nominee is really not someone 
who is what this country is supposed to be about. So don't bring your God into the public square. Sanders could easily have a prominent position in a Biden administration. And it's just interesting. How far are we away from Acts 22, 21 through 22? Paul says he's going to take the message of salvation to the Gentiles. And the crowd said, away with such a man from the earth, for he is not fit to live. All he wanted to do was take the gospel to the Gentiles. And that was their response. You see that progression? You shouldn't be part of this country. Eventually, you're not fit to live here. Eventually, you're not fit to live. Sanders said he met with Biden, who agreed with six of his policies, and he's convinced Biden is moving in a progressive direction. Well, Biden will move in any direction that they push him in. We know that. And it's going to tank what's left of religious liberty. How do we think about this? What do we do when it comes to signing that piece of paper, the anti-bias clause, which is really biased before you are allowed to buy the product? Stay in a hotel. You have to agree that a man who says he's a woman is a woman. Do you have to do that to buy a house, to keep your job? The hardest part for Christians, I think, in this country now is to see us go from one nation under God to one nation under judgment. Not that there has ever been or will ever be any such thing as a Christian nation. That's an impossibility. But Judeo-Christian principles, the kind we were founded on, the kind that thrived in this country for a long time, those are dwindling. And it's a hard providence of God to be under judgment, but it is the truth. I hear the death knell clanging on the hilltop. That's why I've been finding a lot of comfort in the book of Habakkuk, really relating to this prophet, because it's applicable to what we're facing. And I love it because it delves deep into the workings of God in history, and it gives us a display of that. Habakkuk prophesied during the final days of the Assyrian Empire and the beginning of Babylon's world rulership. So justice had all but disappeared from the land. Violence was extensive. The days were dark. And Habakkuk calls on God to help. They had lived through a period of national revival followed by a spiritual decline. But how God responded was something Habakkuk didn't want to hear. God was sending the Babylonians to be an agent of judgment on his people. That was not the news Habakkuk was looking for. God, how can you bring these unrighteous people against us? One commentator says it was like crying out to God about the state of the visible church in America and hearing that God is going to destroy it by a communist invasion. (laughs) Pretty much. Yeah, that is what it feels like. That commentator wrote that in 1983. So I echo Habakkuk's words in 1, 3 through 4. Why do you make me see iniquity and cause me to look on wickedness? Yes, destruction and violence are before me. Strife exists and contention arises, therefore the law is ignored and justice is never upheld. For the wicked surround the righteous, therefore justice comes out perverted. So think about this though, God's reply. In five, he says, look among the nations and watch, be utterly astounded, for I will work a work in your days which you would not believe though it were told to you. So I am doing something in your days. I am doing it. God is doing it in your day. He raised them up. He is the Lord of history. He is over all. And God says, I'm bringing a feared and dreaded people against Israel. And Habakkuk says in 113, 
Why are you silent while the wicked swallow up those more righteous than themselves? So in other words, what? What's happening? Lord, you can't be serious. So God's answer to Habakkuk is that he's going to judge the Babylonians too. But as they wait, his people were to live in faith by him and live by faith in him and his control of history. It's on his divine timetable. And he says, I am doing something in your days. God says to him precisely when I have purposed it to happen. Whatever is happening in our day is no mistake. You are supposed to be here for this day, saint. Don't shrink back. And I say the same thing to myself. In chapter two, it says the revelation awaits an appointed time. God's judgment against the Babylonians would happen at the exact time God purposed. It's one of my favorite terms in scripture, the appointed time. It occurs 57 times in the Bible, at least. In Genesis 18, 14, it says, is anything too hard for the Lord? At the appointed time, I will return to you according to the time of life and Sarah shall have a son. Exodus 9, 5 says, then the Lord appointed a set time saying, tomorrow the Lord will do this thing in the land. Stop and think and remind yourself as Habakkuk stopped to remind himself, oh Lord, are you not from everlasting? God was before anything that existed and would be long after the Babylonians were gone. Man is finite. God is infinite. Civilizations have come and gone and more will come and go if the Lord tarries. When I was in Israel, we did an archaeological dig and I had such a blast. It was so much fun. I'm digging through the dirt and I'm hoping to come up with some trinket from the Edomites. I'm just imagining all sorts of treasures. And all I even wanted was just a handle from a jug or a piece of pottery trying to find something from 6th century BC. I just thought it was so fascinating. But that civilization has come and gone. But God is eternal. His eternal plan is on a perfect timetable. And the church is at the center of the plan. In the same way, when Habakkuk was writing about what was coming against the covenant people Israel, history is moving for the sake of the bride of Christ, which is the church. So whatever God is doing or has done in this election and on this globe, his church is of tantamount importance. And I think it's really important to remember that. So frame your thoughts that way, because it will change your perspective. All of what he is doing is with his church in mind. The events of history are beholden to God's plan of redemptive history and his plan for the church and his kingdom. It's not the other way around. History is not on some track that God is fitting his plans for the kingdom into. He's ushering it along for his kingdom, his church, and individually each and every believer. So Habakkuk asks if it's right for this to happen. Is it right for God to judge as he's going to? Does God act rightly? is the question. We know he does. But when things get crazy, when things are happening that look like it's going to the dogs, we ask that question, don't we? Deuteronomy 32.4 is the answer. He is the rock. His work is perfect. For all his ways are justice. All his ways are justice. A God of truth and without injustice, righteous and upright is he. If your heart is still troubled, Settle in and commit it to the Lord. I love Habakkuk saying in 2.1, this is his response, I will stand my watch 
and set myself on the rampart and watch to see what he will say to me and what I will answer when I am corrected. Wait for the Lord's answer. And the Lord answered, the just shall live by faith. What a great truth. So Habakkuk listens to the woes pronounced upon the wicked. And at the end of verse two in chapter three, he says, in your wrath, remember mercy. Of course, God will, because he is exceedingly merciful. Habakkuk had to believe God in the midst of all that was happening. He was trembling at the thought of the coming invasion. I am trembling at the thought of the coming administration. (laughs) But like Habakkuk, I must rejoice, even though things may collapse around us. Don't we love Habakkuk's end? The hymn that he says in 317 through 19, though the fig tree may not blossom, nor fruit be on the vines, through the labor of the olive may fail, and the fields yield no food, though the flock may be cut off from the fold, and there be no herd in the stalls. Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will joy in the God of my salvation. The Lord God is my strength. He will make my feet like the deer's feet. He will make me walk on my high hills. So sure enough, God did judge the Babylonians as he said he would. He is faithful always. And Daniel records that account in Daniel 5. He is standing in front of the Babylonian king Belshazzar and interpreting what has just been written on the wall by God, by the finger of God. Mene, mene, tekel perez, you have been weighed in the balances and found wanting. Your kingdom has been divided and given to the Medes and the Persians. And that very night, in verse 30, Belshazzar was slain October 16th, 539 BC, when the Persian general had troops dig a trench to divert and thus lower the waters of the Euphrates River, and the lowered water enabled the army to unexpectedly invade via the waterway and reach the palace before the city was aware of what was going on. So if God says it will come to pass, it will come to pass. That's all for this episode. Thanks for listening. Mm-hmm.